show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of boasting? It is excluded. By what law? By that of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that a person is justified by faith apart from works prescribed by the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one. And he will justify the circumcised on the ground of faith and the uncircumcised through that same faith. Do we then overthrow the law by this faith? By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, I'm happy to be with you for the next five minutes. I'm, I'm putting this up so I can see my time barriers here. Um, I, I am excited that I have a chance. I see some of you uh, are in here that were already with me, and I'm sorry. It's just going to happen again. Uh, I'm excited to be here because I'm a church historian. It gives me an opportunity to share some of the things that excite me. Uh, But particularly this particular day, it it, it is an amazing time when we are celebrating on October 31st the 500th year anniversary of Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses on the uh, cathedral door in Wittenberg, Germany. And believe me, there are celebrations that are going to take place in Europe that are amazing I wish I could be there, but I am truly honored to be in your your very uh, fabulous church on this occasion to celebrate this uh, historic event. That being said, this is not a normal sermon today. Uh, I'm a professor and a preacher, and I preach long and hard uh, and teach long and hard, so I'm going to try to put together that in some way that actually gets done before you leave, okay? So we'll work together with that. Uh, The fact is that... uh, 500 years ago, a young monk, as uh, Robin said, decided to try to change things for the better. He decided to try to reform things, to make things better, and as a result, he started something that now uh, is estimated that there are about 43,000 denominations in the world, and they kind of started with that young monk nailing some statements on a door. So this morning, I'm not going to be able to give you everything that I can about Luther, but I am going to share some things that I think are helpful to us, and I'm hopefully uh, going to be able to give you some encouragement along the way. Luther was born, uh, to do this, I'll kind of historically back it up a little bit. Luther was born in a little town called Eisleben in Germany to a father who was kind of upwardly mobile, lower middle class, and uh, who hoped that his son would become a lawyer because he figured that was the quickest way to be wealthy in in the day, and it would help his family. And Luther was doing quite well in school until he traveled by horse one day, and as he was traveling, as it happens in Alabama and everywhere else, a sudden thunderstorm rose, and in that thunderstorm, lightning came and struck down next to him and knocked him off the horse, and as he was falling to the ground, he cried out to the patron saint of uh, mines, St. Anne, save me and I will become a monk. Don't do that. Bad idea. Okay, don't make rash vows. Uh, As he got up, he found out he was alive. And he decided then he had taken a vow and he had to complete his vow. So he, 
instead of going home, he went to the monastery about 40 miles from his house, and uh, he it came to the door and knocked on it and said, I want to become a monk. And so they opened it and began his novitiate, and eventually he took the tonsure, that hair, or lack of it. I don't know if y'all can see that, but it's open. Okay. Uh, he, he, he got the tonsure, the robe, and the hood, and he began his work as a monk in the Augustinian monastery. His dad was not happy, right? Bad educational choice. Uh, but that is exactly what he did. And as a result, he began the process of doing what the monks have done for thousands of years, and that is to try to find a place of salvation by strict adherence to rules and codes and the ways to live and, and to, to speak against your uh, physical bodies. Uh, as a result, he moved up in this system. He was able to encourage himself and to place himself in leadership. And he was sent to Rome to uh, be a representative of the monastery, all the time trying to find out why it was he could never feel comfortable in his own faith. He could never feel like he was good enough for God, but he did everything right. When he got to Rome, he thought, okay, I'll find help here because this is the holy city. Everybody's holy. He found out that it wasn't true. There were many different monks who were doing things that were very carnal and materialistic, even breaking their vows of poverty and chastity. And in his monastery, he, when he came back, this just kind of resonated in him. And so he began confessions that would last three to six hours in the confessional booth, trying to find something in his soul that was bad so he could tell the confessor and get it fixed so he could get to heaven. But he found nothing but a judge that was vengeful and, and, and stood above him with a hammer ready to whack him. His spiritual mentor, Johann, Johann von Stoppitz, finally decided this guy's got to have some help, so he decided to make him a teacher. Just saying. <laughs> Going to help everybody else, right? But it really was a great idea because he gave Luther a position in Bible studies. He had a doctorate he could teach, and he made him a Bible teacher. And as he began to teach the, the books of Galatians and Romans and began to teach his, his young uh, students, he began to see for himself the fact that faith is the answer, not the way you live and act and serve. He began to understand that perhaps God was looking for something other than good works for us to be saved. But it was when he taught the book of Psalms that light really broke in. That day in Psalm 22, he opened that, that uh, psalm and he read these words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And it hit him for the first time. That was Jesus quoted on the script, quoted on the cross. Those words he quoted meant that he had taken our sins upon himself. He was the righteous one who had died with our sins. And by his death and resurrection, we have forgiveness of sin and resurrected life. Jesus became us on the cross and his death paid the ultimate price. So now his life could turn in a totally different direction. He could live a life of faith, not worrying to try to be perfect because Christ was perfect. But what really began the Reformation was a practice called indulgences. Indulgences were gifts of forgiveness and time out of purgatory offered by the Pope 
from time to time. And in this case, a man who was trying to get a position as archbishop had to pay a certain amount of money for the position, borrowed money that he couldn't pay back, and so the Pope gave him permission to sell indulgences, time out of purgatory, by using preachers to hand out the indulgences, but you had to pay for them. So an indulgence preacher came to Wittenberg and began to preach and to say to these peasants, you need to really help your parents who are in purgatory right now suffering. Can't you hear their cries? Don't you hear the the desperate crying out? Help them by buying these indulgences to get them out of purgatory. End result was that many peasants gave their hard-earned money trying to take care of their families that they thought were in purgatory. And Luther decided that they needed to talk about this a little bit more. And he took a sheet of paper, nailed it to the door with 95 points on it to say this is a debatable issue. Can the Pope forgive people in purgatory? And the result of this was in five years, within five years, the church had split into Roman Catholic and Protestantism. And now you have so many denominations. Well, now I've got like three minutes. So we're here for good, just saying. Uh, The first thing I want to, I just got, I only have six points. Okay, you with me? Y'all are not with me? Okay, all right. I'm going to hurry. The first thing we need to know is that God is not mad at us. The problem with Luther was that he believed God was a great judge who always was trying to find fault with us and that he was ready to whack us if we didn't live up to our perfection being enough for him. He thought like the the, uh, thing that Jesus said when he spoke to the people on the Sermon on the Mount, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And so Luther worked really hard to be perfect, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't find help. He never found peace until that day he understood that Jesus was perfect. And his perfection is applied to the person who has faith. By his righteousness we are saved, not our own. It comes from him. God is not mad at us. He, in fact, died for us so that we might have life. Secondly, we need to understand that Scripture is the foundation of our faith. As a scholar and pastor, Luther based everything on Scripture. He was even willing to risk his life, even risk possibly being burned at the stake when he actually translated the Scriptures into German, which uh, William Tyndale in England was burned at the stake for doing the very same thing into English. He understood that the scripture is inspired of God and it has the power to correct and fix and to teach us the truth. And when he was hidden out after the, uh, the period of time that Robbins was talking about, he actually translated the Bible into German, which became the foundation of the German modern language. But his purpose was to let every peasant in Germany read for themselves what Jesus had done for them. He believed that scripture alone was the answer to finding the truth. Third, we are ultimately saved by faith alone. This is something that has become the watchword of the Reformation. The fact is, I will never be good enough. Christ has been good enough. I can't do enough. God has done everything needed in Jesus. He is able to do all that we need for salvation. All that we can ever do is to obey and follow him in faith. And by following him in faith, we live up to that standard of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith, not of works, lest anyone should boast. 
The idea that Luther came to understand was sola fidei, faith alone is the answer to salvation. Fourth, really going fast, a critical point is that we can make mistakes, and sometimes we do. Even the greatest figures in our history made great mistakes. Luther could be, I have to say, crass at times. If you read his materials, it will embarrass you from time to time because you just think, really, Luther? I mean, you could be a little sweeter than that. But he just kind of really, if you got against him, he went after you. He was determined to win. But really, the two things that probably live uh, in his history that that speak uh, badly of him are the two things he did with the peasant war and against the Jews. Uh, The peasant war broke out when peasants who thought that Luther was on their side, which he was, uh, they rose up and began to go against the nobles trying to get their rights with violence. And they would go into estates and they would rob and pillage and sometimes kill nobles. And, and when Luther found this out, he, he immediately wrote an article that was against those robbing hordes. And in it, he told the nobles, act as if these people are rabid dogs coming into your neighborhood. Kill them at all costs because they are destroying the faith. What he believed was that God had let authority be in its place and to take that authority upon ourselves and to remove someone even violently was to commit murder ourselves. And so he felt that they could bring judgment on them. The problem was the nobles took it very serious and killed over 100,000 peasants. The result of this was that Luther lost a lot of the goodwill of the people. Probably the worst thing that he did, he did three years before he died. He had been saying over his life that the Jewish people could be converted, but he came to believe that they couldn't be. And in an article in which he really spoke uh, in ways that he should not have, I think, he said things that came to be fulfilled in Nazi Germany. He said that it would be okay to destroy their synagogues because they, uh, they don't follow after God. He said it would be okay to forbid them to pray in public because they don't pray to the true God, Jesus Christ. He said that it would be all right to take up their books of the Talmud and to put them aside until they were converted. And then he said you should exile them. It's obvious that they're not going to convert. Well, the Nazis found this information out. They found his articles and and the things that he said, and they tried to make it come to reality. In fact, as I said to the other two groups that I spoke to this morning, uh, I read several different Nazi writers who said the two greatest Germans who ever lived were Martin Luther and Adolf Hitler. To be even associated with the name of Adolf Hitler is a crime, is a crime against Martin Luther. And he will answer for those things. But it was true that he understood that he made mistakes. And we all make mistakes. We are not great enough to not do so. His teaching on faith was this. Simul justus epicator. At the same time just and at the same time sinful. I will always, Luther says, I will always be a sinner sinful in the eyes of God. But Jesus is the answer for righteousness in me. God looks at Jesus, not me. I am unrighteous, but he is righteous for me. And that was the answer. So what we have to learn from this is that we might make mistakes in life. But if we do, there is a God of forgiveness and mercy. 
And we can come to him and receive from him forgiveness for making those mistakes and rectifying those things. One of the things that he almost made a sacrament in Lutheran Germany was penance because it was about doing right things after you're forgiven. And he certainly believed that to be true. The last thing I would say is that Luther taught to us a very important principle, and that is the, the uh, priesthood of all believers. In, in the scriptures, 1 Peter 2.9, it says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What Luther came to understand and made clear to the people of Germany and then to the rest of the world was that we are all equal in the eyes of God. Every single one of us is a blessed child of God. And when we have faith, it's not a pope over me or a bishop over me or a district superintendent or a preacher who only can read the scripture in Latin or pronounce the words of the liturgy. It is every man and woman working for God's good at whatever God has called them to do. Luther said that the, the person who digs ditches, if they dig those ditches for Christ, they have the same great potential as the greatest pope who ever lived. They are equal in the eyes of God because they are doing what God gave them the right and opportunity to do. His idea of a priesthood of all believers meant that every single one of us in this room today are responsible for our neighbors. We are responsible for the faith of every person we come across who lives their faith in Christ. We are responsible to go before God on their behalf and to stand up for them. That brings me to the last point. I think, did I say six? Maybe it was seven. And that is, as, as Robbins really said, and I'm going to finish with this, sometimes we have to take a stand for what is right. Luther knew that a man named John Huss had been executed by being burned at the stake when he said the very same things that Luther said at the, the Diet of Worms. When he stood before these people and they said, you need to renounce what you've written. And he said, here I stand, I can do no other. God help me. Sometimes, as Christians, we have to be different. We have to be unique. We have to be the living presence of God in the world who changes the world by our very actions and words. For Luther, it was worth dying for to stand up for the gospel message of God's love for us. And I pray that every one of us today will have that kind of determination as we begin uh, continue to live out our faith in the presence of a world that needs desperately to know Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the lessons that Luther teaches us. Lessons that even just any common person should know. That you're not out to get us. You love us. And you've done everything necessary to provide for us salvation, forgiveness, and righteousness. We pray that you will teach us how to stand for our faith, how we will, you will teach us how to study your word that we might be better servants. And most of all, Lord, teach us that when we fail, that we can turn to a God who forgives and will make it right. I ask that you bless this congregation with your presence. 
do great and mighty acts in their lives as they live out what Martin Luther started 500 years ago. I ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.